0: This is Risky Women Radio, a show to connect, celebrate, and champion women in risk, regulation, and compliance. Sharing insight and perspective from the most influential members of our global Risky Women Network on the latest developments we need to think about, the challenges we should all talk more about, and the innovation we are most excited about in governance, risk, and compliance. Bringing together the hundreds of senior women professionals already connected, with a new emerging group of leading women and men. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. Welcome to Risky Women Radio. Today's Risky Woman is Amina Antonio. I'm here in Sydney with Amina in the Tabcorp offices and looking forward to talking to our Risky Woman on risk regulation, compliance, gambling and diversity too. Amina is the General Manager of Financial Crime Risk at Tabcorp. She's also a soccer mum, sports fan and a big believer in fairness, equality, diversity and inclusion. Amina has around 20 years experience in the legal and risk space, spending most of her legal career working at one of Australia's biggest law firms and more recently moving into a career in risk at Australia's biggest listed gambling and entertainment company, Tabcorp. Welcome Amina.
1: Thanks, Kimberly.
0: I am thrilled to have you here today and I love to hear about people's career journeys. So you started your career in the law and then you've moved into obviously now an exciting role at TAB Corp. Can you tell us more about your career journey to Dayton? What sort of made you move into, into these areas?
1: So I guess it goes back to when I was at high school thinking about what I would do after school and originally I wanted to be a police officer. Um, but I had to look down at my skinny little chicken arms and thought maybe I should do something different that didn't involve the physical element. So I decided that the law was something that I should get into. Um, I guess looking back it was a weird choice because I hadn't had any exposure to real-world lawyers at all. None of my family, none of my friends, extended family were even closely in the legal industry and the only lawyers I knew were Jimmy Smits on LA Law, really. (laughs) So um, I went into uni and and really quite enjoyed studying the law. Um, Was lucky enough to get a job at at a big law firm and and went straight in there. And my original career goal was to be a barrister, the sort of lawyer that just goes to court every day, wears the wig and the robes, works pretty much by themselves in chambers. And spending about six months in the law firm, I realised I really like working with people. So maybe working at a law firm was the type of lawyer I should have been. So I stayed there for a number of years and, and was lucky enough to do some really varied and different things. So I was in the commercial litigation group for the most part of my time at Freehills, you now Herbert Smith Freehills, and um, and I did a lot of corporate litigation companies suing other companies but then did a lot of regulatory law. So I... Um, I worked on cases before the Independent Commission Against Corruption and also at the time a New South Wales longest-running coronial inquest. So that was very interesting and it really opened my eye into how people in the public eye should be very concerned about the way in which they use their power, you know. Um, And it made me feel like I was making quite a big difference wasn't just a matter of rich people suing rich people or big companies arguing with other big companies. These were matters that actually made a difference in, in everyday life. And so that for me was really quite exciting and interesting. During that time, one of my biggest clients was Tabcorp. Um, and Tabcorp, among other things, runs the um, retail betting in at that time, New South Wales and Victoria. And so they were one of my biggest clients and a job came up there. I wasn't really looking to work in the gambling industry, but knowing Tabcorp the way I did by working for them as an external lawyer, I realised that that was the sort of company that I wouldn't at all mind working for. Um, They cared about things like responsible gambling. They clearly cared about things like diversity and just generally doing the right thing. I know that Tabcorp and gambling is, is what some people consider a vice industry, but I figured if I'm going to work anywhere like that, it's, it's going to be in an a industry leader, somewhere that actually cares about making sure that if they're delivering products that are potentially harmful, they've got an eye on that too and do the very best that they can to make sure that harm doesn't result.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean, in your profile, you mentioned fairness, being a b- big believer in fairness. So that seems to be a theme that's sort of run through from the law into your current role. I mean, how? what other ways is that sort of reflected in in your career journey?
1: I think fairness is, is you know, really at the heart of the way I try and live my life. You know, when I was a kid, I used to play sport and, and I actually was an umpire, um, and made sure that people were following the rules. And you don't have to be nasty about it. If you don't have a referee or an umpire at a game, no-one plays the game. And that, to me, is, is why I like the law. If you don't have lawyers in the legal system, society breaks down. For me, in, in my current role, if you don't have someone who's thinking about how people can misuse the products, the products go away. You know, and we've seen in Australia with the Banking Royal Commission, if there's not someone there with a view to make sure that people are doing the right thing, whatever it is, whether it's company behaviour, whether it's personal behaviour, whether it's consumer behaviour, it always goes too far. So if, if, you know, people will drive too fast to be safe, society is a better place because we've got speed limits and we've got police there to enforce that. So I see my role as, you know, not quite as important as that in, in the scheme of things but in a small way making sure that people are doing the right thing.
0: So, t- yeah, tell us more about your role as the general manager of financial crime. Sort of, I guess, what's a day in the life of uh, of the general manager of financial crime?
1: Uh, I guess it's pretty pretty varied. Um for me, it's, it's trying to make sure that whether it's when we're looking at particular customers or we're looking at a broader system, we're looking at new products, we're trying as best as we can to stay at least half a step, if not a few steps, ahead of the criminals who might seek to misuse those products. And so for me, it's about really being honest when we look at the risks that the company faces. Um, you know, sometimes we come up with crazy ideas um, sometimes they're adopting ideas from other industries but we always make sure that we're trying to have that lens of could this go wrong and what can we do to stop it from going wrong
0: great and and how how's the team structured and and how how big is the team
1: so Tapcorp's financial crime function crosses the three lines of defense so we've got all three lines. Line one is across every single state and territory in Australia, other than WA. So every single state and territory the tabcorp operates. Um, the line two team is we've got an intelligence function, a, an operational sort of QA function, as well as a policy and advisory team. So it's probably about ten people, which is compared to the banks quite lean, but because we've got such diversity of backgrounds, education, ways of thinking in that team, I think we do our very best to make sure that we're looking at all angles of the problem.
0: Mm. And you're also the MLRO, which is the Money Laundering Reporting Officer. What does that element involve?
1: I think that overlaps significantly with my broader financial crime risk role. But the focus particularly in the MLRO aspect of my role is to make sure that we're always meeting regulatory expectations in what we do. And not only that, we're meeting what the law requires of us. So in terms of risk, we're really end game focus. What is the end game that we're trying to get to? And in terms of the MLRO side of things, it's and how does the law tell us we need to get there? So it really works hand in hand. Um, and, and that to me is is the MLRO aspect, is making sure that we're meeting what the regulator, AUSTRAC, expects of us, we're keeping them informed about what we're doing and then we're acting swiftly if we find something that's unusual.
0: And what are the... I mean, obviously lots of interesting challenges and, as you said, trying to stay a step, half a step, whatever, ahead of the, the criminals... What are the biggest challenges that you sort of feel that you face at the moment? And I guess what are some of the most interesting areas that you've worked on?
1: I think the most interesting areas are that strategic engagement with law enforcement, finding out what law enforcement agencies in Australia are really caring about at the moment, what sorts of aspects of crime they're really concerned to try and stop and they feel that they don't know enough about of, and examining whether or not those Risks that activity could occur in our network. Um, that to me is really interesting and it's most rewarding when we can point to something that we've done, a decision we've made, actions we've taken that either have stopped that sort of behaviour or even have found it and led to arrests and and convictions. That's really quite rewarding. So um, it's not all it's not an everyday occurrence, thankfully. But that's something that I think that close, working shoulder to shoulder with law enforcement and making sure that not only are the regulators' expectations met but law enforcement's needs and expectations, we're, we're working towards meeting those as well.
0: And the biggest challenges?
1: I think the biggest challenge is, is the change of pace. Um, I often say to my team, you know, AML in and of itself is a rapidly changing environment. You always have to stay ahead, one step ahead of what the criminal activity will be. Gambling is a very diverse and dynamic industry and Tabcorp is one of the most diverse and and dynamic companies I've ever worked in. You know, last year, a matter of months ago, we had a merger with another big company and so we... um, the merger with the TATS Group, which was worth $11 billion, brings together the two biggest gambling operators in Australia. So the newly merged TAPCorp entity runs the lotteries across Australia, all retail betting other than Western Australia, and services the businesses that run the poker machines in, in very many states and territories of Australia. So it's really quite interesting... And no two days at Tabcorp are ever the same.
0: And it sounds like then you'd have different requirements across all of those different product lines, which would also be challenging but interesting.
1: Absolutely. The complexity at somewhere like this is quite astounding. Mm. So um, it really needs a focus on detail, someone with attention to detail. And I think that's where my legal training has sort of helped. Um, And someone who, you know anyone in the team needs to be focused on the outcomes. Yes, we need to meet the licence obligations. Yes, we need to meet regulatory expectations. But at the end of the day, it all needs to work hand in hand with keeping criminals out of the system.
0: And then you've got a range of different skill sets in the team as well. Um, and I guess looking at that from a diversity perspective and driving towards diversity of thought, which would be the uh, ultimate ambition for everybody. You are a diversity advocate for the company. And, um, you know, I saw an article that was talking about your expectations of even dealing with law firms, which I think was back in 2015 saying that you, you know, do expect to see women on the other side of the table in the law firms that you brief. And that that was really something that you saw as important to drive change. Um, What is TABCorp doing in the diversity and inclusion um, space at the moment?
1: So actually in the last week, TABCorp has relaunched um, some policies, including the diversity and inclusion policy, um, a brand new um, domestic and family violence support policy, flexible working policy and a um, parental leave policy. So it's really quite nice to work in a place that thinks about those sorts of issues and makes sure that on the flexible working side that the answer should always be yes unless there's a very good reason not to. And so for me, you know, the one simple thing I do in the morning to make sure that I've, I've got that flexibility is I don't start at nine. I start a little bit later. And that allows me to, you know, get the kids ready for school in the morning, um, help them with last-minute-slash-forgotten-homework or even put the finishing touches on an emergency book week outfit, which happens to me every year, every book week. So, Seems to
0: be a regular occurrence for all, all parents.
1: <laughs> I think so. And, and for me, in my stage of life, I'm at, at, at that point where I've got school-aged children as well as older parents who sometimes I, I need to be there for them. So things like flexible working policies, And having that default position of yes, you can work flexibly means that I don't feel guilty asking, you know, I need to leave early for a doctor's appointment, no problem. You know, whereas if you're in that culture and and that um, environment where you always have to ask for permission and justify why you're, you're leaving early and you need to make up that time at a later date and you've got to be very clear about it, just makes you a little bit anxious about asking. So to have that policy at a system-wide company level is really quite, um, it makes a difference for, for some people who've never been in that position where they could ask for that. I mean, personally, I've been lucky to have worked in, in teams where that's not an issue. But I do know across the company and all places that sometimes that's not always the case. And it's not always deliberate. I remember when I was younger, and I came back from having my first child, and we were at the—I was working at the law firm. We were working on a matter that was in court, and the team meeting was always scheduled for six o'clock in the evening. And when child the childcare center closes at six o'clock, that just means that it's really difficult to either in person or on the phone make it to that meeting. And when I raised that with my the partner on the matter at the time, he was horrified, but he never thought about it. It certainly wasn't his intention to exclude or make it difficult for me to do that, but he'd never thought of it because he'd never been in that position of being a working parent with pick-up responsibilities. And so I think policies like this and company-wide top-down approaches to, to issues like this make people think, even though they've never been themselves in that position, they make people think maybe my team is in that position and I should adjust.
0: Yeah. Oh, that sounds like it's it's great. And, um, you know, we should share the, the guidelines and, and policies because I think everyone can learn from that. Um, so just what, what do you think, what's the biggest risk that you've taken in your career?
1: I think for me the biggest risk personally has... Um, taking on a rolling risk (laughs) becoming a risky woman is the biggest risk that I have taken in my career and um you know I I, like I said I I, my early career was in the law and there is a clear progression whether you're at a law firm or as an in-house lawyer is very clear certain titles mean certain things and there is a quite linear progression to career success Moving over to the world of risk, in particular anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing, um, in the circumstances in which I did it, where you know the regulator was very unhappy with with Tabcorp and the way they'd set up the systems, so it wasn't an easy, easy task to take on. And in circumstances from a professional career point of view, there's not so the the way. To progress in your career at risk is not always in a straight line can go you know sideways up down backwards and um a few half three point turns in between you know it's it's one of those areas where you can take your skills and apply them in very many different contexts so for me that was the biggest risk to take on aml and and financial crime more broadly at tabcorp and um think I'm happy with that choice
0: (laughs) great I mean I think that's interesting I always explain that as well that you know careers can zigzag rather than it having you know having nice linear um, defined progression and sometimes that's more interesting
1: it is absolutely more interesting I think um, it's something that I didn't think I would be doing five years ago had you asked me you know what's your career and where's your career progression I would have absolutely said in the law you ask me that question now, and I actually don't have an answer. You know, it's right now I'm doing this and I'm loving it, um, but I could see myself in very many different areas in the next five to ten years, and all of them are pretty exciting.
0: Fantastic and great, obviously, good skill sets that you can apply anywhere. So I'd love to dig a bit more into um, into the you know the hot topics uh, of risk, financial crime, and gambling. Um, obviously there was, you know, stories in the media from 2017 around large fines that, um, Tabcorp was faced with, uh, I believe it was like a $45 million fine around failure to tell the government's counterterrorism financing regulator on 30 tab accounts that were opened and a few other things that happened. So obviously they're big challenges that, you know, you were coming in as AML, um, uh, you know and your financial crime function what did you go how did you go about addressing some of those things what was the the procedures and processes and people things that you did to to change the situation
1: i think for me it was focused on the outcome and the outcome is making it harder for criminals to ply their trade with our products and so with a focus on that it was not Terribly difficult to to get the cultural change, the the buy-in from the people, because I think I mentioned before, Tabcorp is somewhere that within its DNA has do the right thing as one of its ways of working, and so everyone wanted to do the right thing, but it was just legacy systems and legacy ways of working that were holding people back, and so it was about making sure that we were looking carefully at the systems and driving that change through systems backed up with the the relevant instructions and the reason why people are doing things differently. To explain to people why they were doing things um, differently was something that was very important to me and that, you know, we the team were very much focused on transforming the way people thought as well as the way people did things because you know you cannot build a system in the whole wide world that will pick up a customer who is just behaving in an unusual way and that might be very well be a red flag for criminal activity you can't pick up you you can't build a system that picks up that human subtlety and so to make sure that those people who were selling our bits and, and monitoring our systems and speaking to customers in some way, shape or form Were understanding why they were being asked to look for things was really important.
0: Right, interesting. So you were getting down to every kind of touch point within the, the business and looking at then risk assessment across the, the, broad, the broad, broad spectrum. Absolutely. Um and how do you how does the function interact with the business? You know, we often will get um, you know criticism or feedback on you know compliance uh, being not being a business enabler. However, you know, what's your view of how you work with the business? What's the the profile and the and the success look like?
1: It's been a bit of a ride at Tabcorp, and I think. Um the mindset was originally around that, that oh, we're going to have to ask compliance or we're going to have to ask the risk people permission. But it's not about that. And the way we work and the way the risk team particularly wants strives to deal with the business is to make sure that we stay close to them and understand their strategic goals. We understand what they want to do and how they're going to do it and we make sure that they're aware of all the ways it could go wrong and that they've got enough information to build... Their own controls, their own systems to to safeguard against that. And so, you know, the the company mission is to deliver excitement with integrity, and that's something the whole company buys into. And the integrity piece is not just down to risk. Um, yeah, sure, that's our key focus, but it's it's everyone's responsibility. And delivering the products that we have with integrity is something that. You know, fits in with the ways of working, doing the right thing at all times. And so that's something that the business chose, the business has adopted. We in the risk team haven't forced that on them, but I think we all recognise that um, the model of delivering gambling in any way, shape or form could end up being quite harmful and we need to do it with integrity. We need to make sure that there's enough knowledge and systems out there that if we're going towards a harmful outcome for a customer that we're there to stop it we're there to help them and we're there to make sure that um if there are you know regulatory reporting obligations that we're alive to that and we're doing it in a timely fashion
0: i don't think i'd heard that before excitement with integrity i love that um So obviously it's a huge scale of business and you can probably give us more on the numbers of of the actual scale. So how do you you use technology to help you with fighting financial crime?
1: I think technology is a key enabler to business as well as fighting financial crime. I mean, at Tabcorp, just in the wagering business alone, in the lead-up to Melbourne Cup, which is Australia's biggest race, we sell more than 2,000 bets per second, per second. Yeah. Um, And so that's something that, you know, as a company, we're very focused on having robust systems from a business point of view, but also using those systems to make sure that there are enough controls and and monitoring in there that we're picking up unusual behaviour. Technology is something that, you know, won't break or won't change when someone in our language, wins the lotto and, and decides to retire. You know, I, I remember before I used to work here, I, I the language used to be, oh, if so-and-so got hit by the bus, would that happen tomorrow at the company? At, at Tabcorp, we, at least in my experience, we say, oh, if someone wins the lotto tomorrow and never comes back, would that still happen again? We can't have human-based controls as the primary controls. Mm. So technology has to be the key enabler for that. For me, it's about making sure that technology works in a sensible way with the humans um, rather than necessarily replaces them because otherwise, you know, if you're putting 100% of your reliance on technology and never checking that it's working or it continues to work, someone figures out how to get around those controls and you don't spot them. And that's the big danger. So you have to have technology hand in hand with the human view of the world.
0: And so it's interesting, obviously, you mentioned Melbourne Cup, um, 2,000 bets per second. Um, And obviously that must be a huge amount of money going through the system. And I assume you're getting new people that are then who often don't bet and that you're having to monitor and track. So, you know, obviously lots of technology, but also... Your biz- How do you scale up and scale down the business around activities like that?
1: I think from an operational perspective, um, it's, all, it's all hands on deck. So even though I'm in the financial crime risks team, um, every year since I've worked here on Melbourne Cup Day, I go out and help sell bets. So I help customers who have never placed a bet before or haven't placed a bet since the previous year um, put on their $20 bet on whichever horse they choose. So that's actually quite fun and I, I always make, make a point that people in my team are available to help the business for that because at the end of the day, we're here to help the business achieve their goals of, you know, meeting business outcomes. And it's actually the most fun day of the year at Tabcorp. Working out in the crowds and helping people understand what it is that they're doing you know, if they choose to spend twenty dollars and place a bet on the the one with the female jockey, or them of German extraction, and they want to know which one's the German horse, that's actually that's what our business is all about. Is about letting people enjoy sporting moments, and then if they can have a little bit of extra money on the side, <laughs> because um, you know, Prince of Penzance a few years ago, won the Melbourne Cup and it was the first Melbourne Cup winner with a female jockey on it in the race's 100-plus year history. And it was such a moment of excitement when that horse crossed the line and Michelle Payne was on board. We all were jumping up and down, down in Darling Harbour, and because no one, the bookies, the public, gave Michelle Payne and that horse half a chance, the price of that horse ended up being north of $100. And so there were people who had put very small amounts of money, winning and taking home very large amounts of money. And that's really what it's all about. It's not about spending thousands of dollars to to place bets. It's about, you know, your entertainment money. I spend more on coffee every year than I do on gambling, even though I I work at Tabcorp. But it's about... (laughs) You know, taking that extra $10 and putting it on the team you, you follow and, and getting that extra little bit of joy when they win or taking that $5 and putting it on the horse that's named after your grandmother <laughs> or, for me, named after my children or my favourite football team. You know, that's the sort of enjoyment you get out of um, experiencing a sporting moment and and for that year, for that Melbourne Cup, it was quite a historic moment in time where no one gave a female jockey any chance. There were horses there that were at dollar, $3, $7 odds, and Michelle on Prince of Penzance was at $100 to one.
0: And I think... Um... Rachel Griffiths is making a movie now on, uh, on Ride Like a Girl. Yeah, think, so we can't were, wait for that. We
1: were lucky enough. Tabcorp um, is a financial backer of that movie. Excellent. And we were lucky enough the other day to see an advanced preview of it and it looks – it is an amazing story. Yeah. The Payne family are an amazing family but it looks like an amazing movie too so I really can't wait to see yeah, that. Yeah,
0: me too. Excellent. So – I mean, how, how, how are you seeing um, global standards evolving and changing in the industry? Because I assume like gambling as a very global industry, there must be lots of um, uh, things going on that you're learning from across the globe. And I guess, you know, is it moving fast enough and which countries are, are leading the way?
1: I think it depends on which which way you're looking at it in terms of which countries are leading the way obviously in the last few months the u.s has opened up and and in some states legalized sports wagering um, that's quite a big change for the american industry and i remember reading some statistics a couple of years ago that the legal betting market legal sports betting market in the states was somewhere around the 15 billion dollar mark um, but the illegal market was double, if not triple or bigger than that. Um, apparently, the biggest wagering countries are China and India. Yeah. And those countries completely um, ban gambling. It's it's totally illegal. Um, and so to be in that sort of industry where there is this black market element or at mm. least grey market element to to those sorts of products, it's really quite challenging. Um, it's hard to get an understanding of how those grey markets work and how the black markets work um, because Tabcorp and Australia operates in such a highly regulated, transparent, open industry. And for us and for me, I want to make sure that gambling is fair the market's transparent no one's operating on inside information there are as best as we can do it integrity teams in the sports bodies who are able to pick up things like match fixing and race fixing and part of the reason part of part of tabcorp's reason for existence is to fund the racing industry so every year Tabcorp um, ploughs back over $900 million to the racing industry. That goes to things like funding integrity units. That goes to things like funding um, animal welfare units. It goes to things like funding prize money. On top of that, we, we um, pay more than $2 billion in taxes to the state governments. And that goes into the public benefit. But if you have these markets that conduct, you know, illegal gambling, there is no transparency. There is no public benefit to to that sort of industry and that that economic activity. And then it becomes very diluted and the risk of fixing matches or, or fixing races becomes heightened because if they're able to fix a match and then bet on it, there's no legal recourse if you felt like you were ripped off. There's no stewards' inquiries after the event to make sure that whoever participated in that, you know, rotted game or that, that um, race that was fixed gets excluded from the industry going forward. Um, so for me, it's, it's making sure that we've done enough work in Australia to, to show everyone in the world that this is actually a good place and a good model to base a gambling industry on. Because no matter what the governments do around the world, gambling will exist. You know, it's it's you you cannot legislate it out of existence. Gambling will exist and you want gambling to exist in a world where people are following the rules. Yeah. You know, there is a, a fairness element to it all.
0: And so what's your kind of expert guidance or practical steps that you would give to business leaders or the board and you know what are the kind of if you're going to name the key things that must be focused on from that risk perspective what would they be
1: i think broadly and not just in the gambling industry but risk in general it's making sure that the end objectives are never forgotten so if the end objective is to make sure that the system financial system gambling system whatever system you're working in is free of of crime then that is never forgotten Um, if we want as a society to make sure that economic stability is one of the key focuses then make sure that we're not legislating um legislating in such a way that normal activities or everyday activities are hindered or go underground you know we're not de-risking so much that that activity that will always exist just exists in an underground state because that's not a good outcome for anyone
0: so what does success look like for you then
1: success i think is really hard to measure (laughs) and i think you can measure it on a, a number of levels for me personally if i finish the day's work and think i've done a good job and i've haven't made it easier for any criminals to get in, and if I can say I've made it harder for criminals to apply their trade with gambling products of some description, then I feel like I've achieved something. On a broader level, if I can say that, you know, I know that all the sporting events around the world, um, particularly in Australia, but more globally, are sporting events that are run on their own merits then that for me is a is success I know that that's probably an unachievable outcome it's not particularly realistic but I know that if if we've got the right people in place um, the right legislation in place the right um, I guess structures in place to make sure that that's really hard to do it's really hard to fix a match it's really hard to to throw a game, um, then I feel like that's that's a success. That's a success story in itself.
0: Connecting, celebrating, and championing women in risk regulation and compliance, Risky Women Radio takes an intimate look at the rants and revelations of the top women shaping the debate and the industry. Okay, on to... Our Risky Women Rants and Revelations. It's one of my favourite sections. So let's start with your uh, revelation. What is the, you know, the one thing that you know now that you wish you knew then or your sort of advice that you would give to your younger self?
1: Um, I think I'd the advice I'd give to my younger self is don't be afraid, you know. Uh, if you work hard and you know what you're doing... You should be able to back yourself and it doesn't matter if you're a female, if you're a male, if you're from a well-to-do suburb or you're, you know, not, not very well off when you were growing up. It doesn't matter. If you're good at what you do, you're good at what you do and don't be afraid.
0: Excellent. And what's your rant? What is
1: the one thing that you would change? If
0: you were Queen Amina for the day, what would you do? <laughs> What would you fix?
1: And again, fairness, you know. I'd make sure that no matter what school you go to, you get a fair go. You've got the high level of teachers. um, You know, you get a good quality of education. You get decent facilities. um, And that particularly in rural and regional Australia... You, you get access to as much technology, sporting events, social interaction as you do if you went to a school in, in the metropolitan areas. Um, that, for me, I think, if I was Queen Armina for the day, the education system would, would get a lot of my focus.
0: Risky Women is a vibrant network at the centre of a global community in a rapidly growing, evolving and influential industry. Given the continued pace of change, our rapid-fire round revisits the most pressing topics to share ideas and offer listeners new perspectives. Okay, the Risky Women rapid-fire round. We need short answers or one-word answers in some cases to a few key questions. So one word to sum up the world from a governance, risk, and compliance perspective.
1: Roller coaster, but in a fun way.
0: Excellent, okay. Um, your top risk for 2018? Cyber. The cure for the cost of compliance.
1: Smarter regulation hand in hand with smarter technology.
0: And the biggest technology impact on compliance and risk?
1: I think AI and machine learning.
0: And your outlook for the year ahead, are you optimistic, pessimistic or uncertain?
1: Optimistic, definitely optimistic.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us on Risky Women Radio. It's been fabulous to talk to you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Risky Women Radio to connect, champion and celebrate women in risk regulation and compliance. I'm Kimberly Cole, based in Hong Kong. For more information on the Risky Women Global Network, head to our website in the episode notes and please be part of the ongoing conversation by subscribing to this podcast, connecting with us at Risky Women on Twitter or even reaching out to me directly by email.